0: An inventor is a person who invented a particular process or device and who invents things as an occupation. Thomas Edison held 1,093 U.S. patents in his name, and he also had patents in the United Kingdom, France, and Germany. Thomas Edison is credited with the phonograph, the motion picture camera, and a long-lasting light bulb. His biggest invention, which hardly anybody really understands or knows about, was the industrialization of inventing. He actually industrialized inventing in the same way that Henry Ford industrialized making cars, the assembly line. Edison hired inventors and put together an inventing business where people invented for a living. They all got together and invented. And it was the beginning of anyone doing that. Now we have brainstorming and all kinds of things. It's flowed over into all kinds of things. But it was Thomas Edison who really started that. His many credits and accomplishments pale in comparison with our knack for invention You've never really thought of yourself as an inventor, have you? But you have some of the most incredible inventions known to man. (laughs) As a matter of fact, your biggest invention, the one that is your pride and joy, the one that is absolutely so complex, so huge, so mind-boggling, that you don't even really know how to deal with it. And I can tell by the way you're laughing that you've already figured out what that is. Edison said, genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. Clearly true in our case, because the amount of sweat that we put into inventing ourselves, is like an ocean. An ocean of perspiration goes into inventing ourselves and keeping that invention going in the face of reality. Maurice Nicole said, everyone invents himself. These self-invented people meet and talk and quarrel and marry each other. <laughs> that explains a lot, doesn't it? Explains why the divorce rate's over 50% nationwide. Of course, out here in the West, it's higher because we change everything fast here. It's like, if you can find anything that's over 30 years old, it must have a historical marker on it because we plow it under and start fresh, start something new. How many times have you wondered what happened to the person you married? Well, whatever happened to that person? Where did they go? Well, I can tell you where they went. They went back into the mists of imagination from whence they came because that person... That you married never existed. And now you think, oh, well, that's because he invented this person and he presented this person and then he changed after we get married. No, no, it's both ways. He invented that person and you invented the person that married him or her, whatever the case may be. The work calls this invented thing false personality. And its purpose is to give us a wrong sense of I. And that wrong sense of I, the work calls imaginary eye. So false personality spawns this thing called imaginary eye. False personality is like the storehouse that imaginary eye draws from. It's like the wardrobe. If you've ever been to the Metropolitan Opera House, if you've ever been backstage, they have props and wardrobe and things and it's just vast incredible all these different props and all these different wardrobes and all this different stuff well there's so much of it you know a kid could go back there and it's like wow stay back there for the rest of his life well a long time it's like that for us imaginary eye goes to this place false personality and it draws from all this that's stored here in order to keep itself going now all esoteric systems teach that we have a real eye there are a lot of different ways of saying it, but that there's something that's real about us, something that's lasting about us, something that's not imaginary, something that's not invented, something that we didn't come up with and nobody else came up with that we're created basically that we are created beings and that we We don't know that, that what we think is created is this body. What we think is created is this body, the mind, the senses, all the things that are connected to this body. The mind is connected to the body via the senses, like five chains five very strong chains that connect the mind to the body, the five senses. And the mind cannot free itself from the body because of these chains. And the body doesn't want the mind free because it enslaves the mind. So the, the senses have the mind enslaved. We don't know this. We think that we are in control of our minds. We don't know that our minds are directed and enslaved by the five senses, that we're hooked up, we're chained up, and that we can't move at all. That whenever the senses pull one of those chains, the mind has to immediately respond. It immediately goes there. And it's even like a spider web with five strings of that silk, spider silk. And it's hooked up and it pulls energy from the mind. The mind draws energy from somewhere else. And then the five senses draw energy from the mind. But as the mind is enslaved to the five senses, all of the energy goes into the world, and into false personality, into imaginary I, and keeps us from ever realizing real I. Are you with me so far? Okay. I didn't really think this through. It's just kind of coming to me as I go. It's just kind of a picture that I see of this, of how it works. Now, the mind, if it can be freed, it needs to be attached to something else. And when the mind is attached to something else, when it's serving something else, something more real, then we develop. But until then, we don't really develop. We just spin our wheels in the world. We're stuck in the mud of the world, and all of our fuel is being burned in spinning our wheels. We think maybe we're going somewhere in the world. But really, the world's just turning, and the mud's moving, and the wind's blowing, and it's raining more, and it floods, and we float a little here, and we drift a little there. But we're not really going anywhere. We think we are. We think that we're in charge, that we're directing things, that we have a plan, that we have a goal. We think all of these things, and none of these things are true. And let me prove that to you. A major illness, you didn't plan that. A death in the family, you didn't plan that. An accident, you didn't plan that. You have no control. But we imagine we have all this control because we couldn't live without that imagination. In our current state, we would have to have something else. The mind would have to be serving something else, something more real. ...for us to be able to live. And this is what esoteric teachings, all of them, are about. They call it rebirth. They call it transformation, psychotransformation. They call it a lot of things. It doesn't really matter what they call it. What matters is that you understand it... ...and that you get involved with the process. That you start to do something about it. So in this great mass of machinery called false personality... ...something real is buried. All life reflects this great spiritual truth of our being. Within the seed lies the pattern of the plant it could become... Within the caterpillar hides the butterfly. The purpose of all these disciplines, all these esoteric systems, is this transformation that they call by all of these different names, new birth and whatever else. Unfortunately, what we have of most of those systems is simply shreds of the original teaching that have been faded over time, tattered, faded, dog-eared, and something has come along and blotted it out and things have been spilled on it and pieces have been cut out, and other things have been eaten by bugs or whatever. And so there're big holes in the text. And whole pages and chapters are gone. And then the text that we do have, there are big holes in it. And there's spots all over it that change the punctuation and change the meaning of things. So that is very difficult. And they all promise, but few tools remain to help us realize our real I, our true being, our essence, our soul, our eternal spirit, the part of us that was created. They speak of self-knowledge, but the rest of the text has been discarded over time. How do we come to know ourselves truly as we are? beyond imaginary eye well each system has a way but it takes effort and when it comes to effort you'll have to well you don't have to but if you spend some time in sincere genuine proper self-observation you will see when it comes to effort that we eat the dessert and leave the effort that if somebody gives us a big plate of food we eat what we like and we don't eat what we don't like if it's just up to us now you may have lots of ways to hide it you may have a dog under the table and you just pass what you don't like to the dog you may try the napkin trick where you put it in your mouth and when they're watching and then put it in the napkin and get rid of it later so whatever your trick is or some people hide it under their plate you know they do all kinds of things some people are very clever my wife spreads it around her plate she eats all the things she likes and she spreads around the plate all the stuff that she doesn't like so it looks like it's not there Well, I don't know. must have worked when she was a child. It looks like there's less of it. And, you know, it's like, well, I I had too much and I couldn't eat everything on my plate. And then, of course, she'll go get rid of that food that she doesn't like and then go get something she does like to continue eating. And that's what we do. But we lie about it. We lie to ourselves first, which is the worst kind of lie you can tell. Lie to yourself. You're lost. You have to be able to tell yourself the truth, and we can't. Where we are, what is required of us is to be able to tell ourselves the truth, and we don't have that ability. So that ability will have to be developed. That's something that we will have to develop. And the esoteric systems do help us develop that. If we're really willing to bite the bullet, make the effort, and develop that. If we're not, then we just become the mass of religious adherents, the mass of devotees who never really get it, who never really become enlightened, but follow the master wherever he goes, and bring him flowers, and bring him pieces of fruit and we send him money or do this or do that but they themselves won't tread the path we become the majority of people who do that which is what the majority of the fourth way people are people who talk about it read about it write about it go to groups about it do exercises but never really look at themselves and begin to change develop transform be born again and that is what this is about and that is why this group is so small because that's what this is about and this group will stay small because i won't let anyone else in it and i won't let anyone else in it because i haven't met anyone who really wants to develop you i'm stuck with you're already in it and if you don't want to develop and you're in it there's not much i can do about that except keep throwing it against the wall hoping that one day something will stick and then of course there are people who do wish to develop The people who went away from the group came back to the group because they didn't like the world, and they realized that what they thought was out there wasn't, and what they thought wasn't here was. And so they came back. That is rare. That happens like one out of, what, a hundred, a thousand? Who knows? Probably more than that. So as I've said, all these texts speak of self-knowledge, but how do we come to know ourselves truly? It's the nature of the false to obscure the true. It's the nature of darkness to obscure. It's the nature of the false to obscure what is true. It is the nature of the truth to dispel what is false. And this is why what is false hates the truth. Because it will be dispelled. It will be diminished. Bits remain that give us clues once we've begun to realize real meaning. Clues like stay awake you find those clues in the gospels and a lot of different things be present observe yourself witness without judgment etc etc because false personality is fragmented and our sense of i is not real we're easily distracted very easily diverted hypnotized and kept fast asleep sleep is a pleasant way to pass time that's why we do it the sleep is pleasant sensations and you know how you love pleasant sensations pleasant sounds My wife isn't here, so I can talk about this today. She cannot get in the car and pull out of the driveway without turning some kind of music on. She cannot be in the car and drive without music. I remember when we first met. I had a little Alfa Romeo Spider, and it was a convertible. Well, I lived at a beach town, Redondo Beach, and the radios in the Alfa kept disappearing at night. I don't know whether it was the salt air or what, but I'd come down and one morning, and the radio would be gone. And so I. Put a new radio in there and with a tape player or whatever. Back in the day, it was tape players, it wasn't CDs. With a cassette tape player. And then I went to a seminar in Los Angeles one night and came back and I noticed that the door was ajar and, I, and someone had broken into the car while I was in the meeting. And they had tried to get the radio out, but they couldn't get it out. So they just broke it. And as we met around that time, and so she got in the car, we were going somewhere, driving somewhere. And, and I hadn't even backed out of the garage and she said, well, where are the tunes? How about some tunes? And I said, well, I would quit putting radios in the car. This is my donation to the poor. I put radios in the car. They come and steal them, sell them, you know, whatever. And I'm just tired of doing it, so I don't have any tunes. She was beside herself, like, how can the car go round? How can the wheels go round? How can the car go from point A to point B without, isn't that what makes the car go? No, that's, that's not what makes the car go. Anyway, it was like that. And it's, we're like that. You know, we're so unaware of what we're doing that we're addicted to all of these things. Fragmented, distracted, diverted, hypnotized, kept fast asleep. And it's not like someone's doing it to us. We're doing it to ourselves. With the radio, with the television, with the movies, with this, with that. We are doing it to ourselves. We can't wait for the next distraction. Okay, are we done here? I've got things to do today. Really, what have you got to do today that's more important than this? Oh, well, nothing. Nothing's more important than this. Right, but you can't wait to go do something. Isn't that the truth? Yes, that's the truth. Now, for those of you who haven't realized that that's the truth yet, just sit with it for a while. Maybe it'll come to you. With the many different paths, there is but one way. The illusions about ourselves can only be weakened by seeing them. And this is excruciatingly painful to our self-love. And this is why 99% of the people will not do it. Because it is so painful to our self-love. We will not go beyond that. It's a sad fact, but it is a fact. Now you could change that. It is possible to change those statistics. It is possible for you to make sure that you're not one of the 99%. It's possible, it's not very likely, but it's possible. The fact that this work exists is proof that transformation is possible for us. This work would not exist if someone wasn't making progress. You would not be here if you had not seen some progress. If you hadn't seen that it is possible these things actually do work, that you see more about yourself than you have ever seen before. One of the first things you see is that you don't see yourself. Is that true? Yeah. One of the first things you begin to realize is, oh my God, I don't know myself. I thought I knew, and I don't know. And that is an enormous amount of progress. You know, it seems like a small thing, but it's not at all. The big problem in moving toward real I is to separate our consciousness from false personality. This means we must become conscious of that of which we were not conscious. Well, why would I want to do that? That's up to you. If you wish to develop, this work says that you must do that. If you wish to be born again, then that other system says you must do this. And if you wish to be transformed, then this system says you do this. It doesn't matter what system says it. What matters is, can you do it? Can you take the steps necessary to do it? Is that something that you're going to do? Is that something that you're willing to do? Is that something that you wish to do? That's a big step here. must really wish to do this. We meet life with our imaginary eye. So life is never real because the eye with which we meet it is never real. Why is it that this one goes into a relationship and it never turns out the way he wants it to turn out? Well, because the person going into the relationship isn't real. The person going into the relationship is just this collection of five senses that's dragging along a mind with it. And the five senses are blind. The mind is the only thing that can see anything, but it's controlled by the five senses. So here's five blind men leading the only sighted thing by force. And the first thing that these five blind men do with this sighted thing is blind it. Chain it up, blind it, and drag it around. It's like Samson. They put out his eyes, cut his hair, put out his eyes. This is exactly what the five senses do. They cut your hair, take away your power, put out your eyes so that you can't see anything. So you can't go where you want to go. And then they take you, they lead you with these chains. The five senses lead you with these chains. And that's it. And that's how you spend your life. And they throw you a bone every once in a while telling you, oh, well, the next time's going to be better. The next time's going to be better. And after a while, if you've been introduced to some idea like this, after a while you start to become a little dissatisfied. It's like, yeah, that's right. Sure, the next time's going to be better. I don't think so. This is the beginning of development. That disgruntled feeling, that feeling of this life sucks, I hate it, I wish I was dead. That's the beginning of transformation. That's where transformation can occur. In that fertile soil, new hope can spring up. You can get a glimpse of real life. It doesn't happen all the time, but it can happen. Some people just wallow in it. If that's the case, nothing happens. You just wallow. But it is a place where you could do something. Something could happen. That's a Petri dish right there. Something really good could come out of that, if you really want it. Because we love our life, and of course, that's the problem. We love our life. Is there anybody here who wants their life to change? Yeah, you want more. You want more of the things that you like And fewer of the things that you don't like. You love your life. So then what you actually love is what your life is. And what is your life? Imaginary I. We've already established that our life is imaginary I. We meet life with our imaginary I. So life is never real because I, the I with which we meet it, is never real. Because we love our life, imaginary I, it's nearly impossible to become conscious of that of which we are not conscious. It's a real trap. Though the process is slow, it is possible to gradually displace, supplant the unreal I and gain a different feeling of I, thereby meeting life differently, effectively transforming our world or our life. You see, if you can meet life with a different I, life will be different. Can you see this? If you could be a happy person, your life could be happy. Well, no, no, no. My life is unhappy. That's why I'm unhappy. No, no, no. You've got it all wrong. You're unhappy, and that is why your life is unhappy. The moment that you fall in love, everything changes. The unfortunate thing is that you fall out of love much more slowly than you fall into love. You fall in love like that, and life is wonderful. Oh! everybody's beautiful. Everybody's in love. All the birds are singing. All the flowers are blooming. The sun is shining everywhere. Even rainy days. Oh, it's wonderful. We love to walk in the rain and hold hands. And then we go and eat pizza and blah, 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 blah. And then that goes away. You remember you were there. The person you're with now. That's how it was. Do you remember? And now look at it. Oh, raining again. (laughs) (laughs) It's because... It's because the lie, the illusion has been stripped away. That's why. But you don't know what to do about it. But if you could meet life with a different eye, it could all be that way again. Would it really be that way again? No, it wouldn't be that way again. And thank God, because it wasn't real. We're so lost in this invented fiction that if we were suddenly made passive, you know, this this imaginary eye were suddenly made passive, we'd be lost to ourselves. If your imaginary a false personality was just suddenly, like that, made passive, you wouldn't know what to do. You wouldn't know who you were. You couldn't look in the mirror. You would not recognize the person, the thing, looking back at you in the mirror. You've had moments like that where you didn't recognize the person looking back at you in the mirror. You've had moments when you looked in the mirror and it's like, that's not me. You were shocked. What happened? It's because you don't live with reality. You live with the illusion. You live in imaginary eye. And so everything that life brings you, everything that life brings you is filtered through imaginary eye, which means it's filtered through imagination, which means it's not real. Life is real only then when I am. So where do we begin? Yeah, when are we going to get to this part? You're beating me up with the other part. When were we going to get to the part where do we begin? What can we do about this? Well, you can't do anything about this. But I'm going to give you some things to try to do. And as you try to do those things, you'll make some progress and you won't know how. And that's good because if you knew how, you'd screw it up. Try to notice your affections. Just try to notice your affections. That's all. Just try to notice your affections. I have an affection for dogs. I have an affection for cats. I have an affection for birds. I have an affection for women. I have an affection for little kids. I have an affection for blondes. I have an affection for spaghetti and meatballs. I have an affection for chili. I have an affection. Try to notice those things. What you have affections for. I'm not saying love, just affection, okay? You'll notice you have a lot of them. (laughs) attempt to become aware of when you're not being real just in your interactions with people just start to try to become aware of when you're not being real when you nod your head and you haven't really heard what the person said when you smile and you don't really want to smile but that's what's expected of you in this situation when you do something and you're not really being real you're pretending to listen, pretending to care, pretending to be happy, pretending, whatever it is. Just try to become aware of some of those things. Not all of them, just some of those things. The introduction of these ideas will begin to erode the sandy ground upon which false personality stands. Eventually, if you continue to erode the sandy ground upon which false personality stands, you will topple imaginary eye. You won't topple it all at once, thank God, because if you did topple it all at once, you'd be lost. But you'll slowly bring it down. As the ideas plant some doubts, you'll gradually begin to notice how you serve a tyrant, a despot who is never happy and spoils everything. Your life could have been different. Your life could have been happy. Your life could have been successful. But this tyrant that you serve, this despot that you serve, has spoiled it all, ruined everything. Look back at the people in your life who you could have loved, but you didn't. Look back at the people in your life you could have spent time with, but you didn't. And now is too late because the tyrant, the despot, spoiled it, didn't let you do it. Oh, I can see this is going to be a teary one for some of us. Like an avalanche, it starts slow with a few apparently insignificant pebbles gradually building in mass and forth. Yes, it only starts with a couple of little doubts, a couple of little pebbles, a couple of little things sliding down here. Just a little sand, and then it shakes a pebble loose, and just another pebble, and then a bigger pebble, and then a rock. And then the next thing you know, it's developing all this mass, and there's this avalanche. Notice, for example, what offends you. That's all. I'm not asking you to do anything about it. I'm just asking you to do one thing. Notice it. Try to become aware. That's all. Okay, first of all, in order to notice what offends you, you would have to admit that you get offended. That's a big one for a lot of people. Well, nothing offends me. Okay, well, that's where you need to start then. You need to start with what an incredible, deceived liar you are, that you think that nothing offends you. I can look at people or not look at people, and they get offended. People are so easily offended. You are so easily offended. If you think you're not, try to become aware of how easily offended you are. That's all. Become aware of your hidden motives and insincerity. Notice that when you do something, always got some kind of an account. You want something back. You give something freely just for the pleasure, the joy of giving, and the goodness of your heart. And notice that if the person doesn't like it, you're just not as happy. So obviously, you had a hidden motive. It wasn't just out of the goodness of your heart. You were expecting them to appreciate it. You were expecting them to enjoy it. You were expecting them to like it. You were expecting them to maybe not thank you, but but that would have been nice, right? Okay, so this is part of our insincerity, part of our hidden agenda. And just notice some of these things. All these things are connected with self-emotions. Chief among those emotions is, of course, self-love. If you can see it consciously, you are distinct from it. That of which we are not conscious in ourselves controls us because we're identified with it. This is what the work teaches, and this is what we have to understand. It's not like, let's test this and see if the work is right or not. We need to test this and see if we're right or not. This is right. We are identified. We are asleep. (laughs) All of these things that the work says about us are true. Now, we need to find this about ourselves, not find out whether the work fits us or not. The work does not fit us. This work does not fit anyone. You must be fitted to it because you're screwed up. Did I say that clearly enough? Good. You are the problem. This work is not the problem. You are the problem. Christianity is not the problem. You are the problem. Buddhism is not the problem. You are the problem. None of these esoteric systems are the problem. You are the problem. You are an undisciplined, arrogant, self-loving moron. Or, Gurdjieff would have said, idiot. It doesn't mean I don't love you. How could I put up with you any other way? I mean, you realize that you have unpleasant manifestations. How else could anyone put up with you? Either they're ignoring it, which I'm not, or it's love of some kind. (laughs) Or you put up with my unpleasant manifestations and it's a trade. Self-change isn't possible. People talk about self-change all the time, but it's not possible. There's no such thing as self-change. You cannot change yourself. Glad we got that out of the way. But self-observation is possible. And you will be different when you see yourself differently. Now, how does that work? You didn't change yourself, I promise you. You cannot change yourself. Every time you try to change yourself, you're just going to break something. You're going to misalign something. It's like adjusting a timepiece, a fine timepiece, with a sledgehammer. It's not going to work. It doesn't work. Or a screwdriver, jabbing it with a screwdriver. It's not going to work. How many of you have ever taken apart a watch? Yeah. How many of the watches worked when you put them back together? Thank you. That's the way we are. We are so much more complicated than a watch. So many more gears, so many more little things in there. Little screws and little wheels and little cogs and little these and little that and little teeth. They all have to be properly connected. And we don't know what they are. And that's where we're at. And so we try and fix that. We're just going to make it worse. But if we observe it, if we truly observe it, then we will see things differently. And when we see things differently, when we see ourselves differently, we will be different because you have changed from imaginary eye to something more real. Your world will be different when the person you meet it with is different. Look, and I'm not talking about the person you're married to or the person you came here with. I'm talking about you, when you, imaginary I, that person that meets the world, when that person is different, the world's going to be different. As Gurdjieff said, life is real only then when I am. The invented person we have invested in so heavily is a fraud, a cheat, a liar. Yes, he has a winning smile and a great story, but he's a fiction with a bad ending. How many times are you going to live through that bad ending before you wake up and say, you know, something's wrong here, not there. Something's wrong in here, not out there. It's not life. It's this person who's meeting life. That person has something wrong with him or her. If you become more and more conscious of the invented I, your consciousness will broaden and deepen. Makes sense, doesn't it? If you can become more and more conscious, then your consciousness will broaden and deepen, freeing you from the small-minded, egotistical bundle of negative reactions, fears, stupid judgments. Oh, jeez. Hey, you believe some of the stupid judgments you've made, some of the dumb calls you've made, false pride, foolish ambitions. How about some of the things you wanted when you were 16? How about when you were nine? How about when you were 30? Foolish ambitions, silly hopes that spawn daily lies and all the rest of this business that we're living with. We've not realized the real I every person was born with, but has forgotten due to falling under the hypnotism of this planet. And that's what this work is about. That's what all esoteric teachings are about. They're about realizing what's real about you. Or, as Christianity would say, about being born again. Well, what is born? The second birth is the real birth. The first birth is so that you can get the second birth. That's why the first birth is so important. This life is important because unless you have this life, you can't have a second birth. And if you can't have a second birth, you can't find what's real. You only find what's real in what's not real. This is not real. This is the only place where you can find what's real. How weird is that? That doesn't make any sense at all. How can you find what's real and what's not real? I don't know. How can you find an answer from not knowing? That's the only way you can find an answer, is not knowing. If you know, you'll never find the answer. So how does that work? Well, that's how that works. The essence of man comes from high above this compost heap of rotting life in an endless circle of birth and death. We're about regaining what we've lost, the consciousness that is our right. And that's only found one way, by awakening from the sleep. But first, you must be convinced that you're asleep, and you're not. And so that's why I say we have to start with self-observation. And you won't be convinced that you're asleep until you can be convinced by self-observation, by seeing for yourself how much you lie, how insincere you are, what your affections are, all these stupid things that gobble up our time and energy. Maurice Nicole said, as long as you believe in your false personality, you are fast asleep. Begin trying to see that this person that you have taken as yourself, this person that you call I, is an invented fiction with which you touch life. When the doorbell is rung, when life knocks on the door, you send this invention to the door. You don't go yourself. You send this invention to the door to see who's there. Free yourself by letting the light come into your inner darkness. That is always the answer. Every esoteric teaching, they will all boil down to this. Free yourself by letting the light come into your inner darkness. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.